I have so enjoyed our Galatians series and just what God is doing in and through that. Last week, uh, Brother Robert was able to speak, and I know in the message I listened to online, he basically said that uh, he felt unworthy and was afraid he might get voted off the island. Well, he is not here today, but there is no truth to the rumors that he got voted off the island. I'm starting those rumors, but uh, he is away on vacation, so if you don't see him today, don't think he got voted out. But uh, we um, just so thankful for God's word being proclaimed from these men of God and just uh, thankful to be able to have a season to, to sit and listen as well. And so today, Pastor Michael Bondanz is going to come and continue our fifth week in our Galatians series. So come on, brother, and uh, cannot wait to hear and, and see what God has in store. Well, good morning, everybody. It is such an honor and a privilege to be here with you this morning and to be up here um, fulfilling what God has called me to do. So praise the Lord for that. So uh, I was originally supposed to speak last week, but uh, because it's Robert's anniversary, he decided he didn't want to be in the doghouse for his anniversary, so he asked if we could switch. So I gladly said yes, so that he wouldn't be in the doghouse for his anniversary. So this, this message um, is entitled Freedom to Grow, and when I first read these passages of scripture, I was like, wow, how am I going to get freedom to grow out of this? And uh, thankfully, the Lord is faithful, and he reveals to us what, uh, what we need from his word and his time, and, and he definitely gave me some things here. Um, we're going to change perspectives a little bit. So <clears throat> I want to look at growth starting out from the people's perspective and then growth in Paul's perspective and then back to the people. So you got to follow with me here. But just to recap, let me give you a little bit um, of background here. This letter from Paul to the Galatians is uh, communication between himself and the church at Galatia with whom he had a relationship with. <clears throat> Excuse me, the coffee's getting stuck in my throat. Hang on one second. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have drank that coffee before. Thankfully, Micah had a water for me up here to clear it out. So. <clears throat> so Paul had a relationship with this church, obviously, because he started the church and he, was, uh, he took part in their coming to know Christ. And so Paul's letter here in Galatians is an attempt to right problems within the church that he sees. They're problems of such a great magnitude that he felt it necessary to uh, write further instruction. And at some points, it seems he's very passionate, as we'll see. So what troubled Paul about Galatia is not the same things that troubled him about Rome, Corinth, or Philippi. And to recap the context here, Paul is addressing a party of Judaizers who infiltrated the church at Galatia and began convincing them that true believers must follow the Jewish law in its entirety, meaning the uh, <clears throat> ceremonial laws. And so in these passages, we see Paul's passionate plea. And some theologians call these passages this passage is a pastor's plea is because you can see Paul as a as a shepherd pleading with his congregation here to get back on the right track. So uh, my hope is that we'll see God's passionate plea to us this morning. It's a plea of the freedom to grow. And so the past couple of weeks, as Micah mentioned, we heard from Pastor Micah on the freedom of grace, which is the gospel. We heard from the Professor Dave Thomas that we have the freedom through faith which is the right belief with the right behavior. And then we heard from Pastor Jordan that we have freedom through Christ, 
that the law shows us the futility of the flesh. <clears throat> and then last week, we heard from Sergeant Peck that we have freedom as sons, that we are heirs to Christ, and although we are adopted, God is our legitimate father. And so this study today is on our freedom to grow. As a father desires for his children to grow up in the right direction, our Heavenly Father desires the same thing, and he lovingly takes us by the hand and leads us. Sometimes he takes us by the ear and corrects us. <laughs> Been there. <laughs> Growing up is a process. It takes perseverance. Growing means not taking the easy road or giving up because it's hard or not trying at all because it's hard. Being a Christian is a call to grow in itself. It's a call to grow into the fullness of Christ in the same, as the same as a human grows from a child to an adult. And our growth as Christians is not measured as the world standards of self-development, but rather becoming more Christ-like. And so here's a quote from Billy Graham about growth. Billy Graham says, being a Christian is more than just an instantaneous conversion. It is a daily process whereby you grow to be more and more like Christ. <clears throat> so as we look at this chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians, we can see his plea to correct his spiritual children from a dangerous false doctrine. He's calling them to a place of deeper growth from being babes in Christ to growing into maturity. In the beginning of this chapter, Paul writes, and I, and I take this from the Amplified Bible because I love the way it, it states this. <clears throat> the beginning, he says that as the heir, as long as he is a child, he is no different from a slave. And in verse 3, he clarifies what he's saying. He says, so we, meaning Jewish Christians, when we were children, were kept like slaves under the rules of the Hebrew and rituals subject to the elementary teachings of a system of external observations and rec regulations, meaning the ceremonial law. And then he goes on to explain the redemption through Christ who has purchased our freedom. In verse 7, admonishes us that we are no longer slaves but sons, and as now sons, the rightful heirs through Christ by God's grace. Remember the context of this letter, how Paul started out in chapter 1 saying he was in shock, how they church at Galatia had deserted Christ to follow another gospel. And in Proverbs 3, 12, the Bible tells us that the Lord corrects those whom he loves, just as a father corrects a child who he loves. And this is what God is doing through Paul. God is taking his children by the hand and saying, no, this way. <clears throat> and so now today we're going to pick up on verse 8 in Galatians 4. And this is where I want to bring out three areas of growth that I believe God is calling not only Galatians to, but to us to. So if you have your Bibles, if you would, please open up to Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 8. And everybody give me an amen when you're there. Amen. Okay. Starting in verse 8. <clears throat> Make sure I'm in Galatians 4 so I don't read the wrong thing. <laughs> Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. <clears throat> but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? 
You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I have, made, have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you become as I am, for I also have become as you are, and you did me no wrong. You know it was because of bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you do not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. <clears throat> what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you. My little children, for whom I again, I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it also is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word, God. Lord, right now we just turn to you, Lord, and we ask you, Lord, to open our eyes. Lord, open our eyes to see, Lord, open our hearts to understand, Lord God. Lord, as we open our lives to you, Lord God, and open everything to you, God, we just ask that you would speak to us today by your word, Lord. Show us the things that, Lord God, we need. Show us the areas, Lord God, where maybe we need to be taken by the ear. Lord, help us grow today, Father, in you, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> the foundation of Christian worship is the doctrine of the gospel. I want to bring out three things here, three areas of growth. And as again, I said that we're going to look at the congregation, the church that Paul was speaking to. Then we're going to look at Paul, like his perspective of his growth, and then back to the congregation. So you have to kind of follow along with me here. And so these three things, these three areas of growth, I think are very important. And they're also necessarily in this order, I believe. So the first area of growth is to grow in doctrine. I have a quote here from John Owen. He says, The foundation of Christian worship is the doctrine of the gospel, what we are to believe. So when a Christian doctrine is neglected, forsaken, or corrupted, true holiness, worship, will also be neglected, 
forsaken and corrupted. So on, the, on this one hand, we have doctrine being neglected and all kind of craziness comes in because it's allowed because we didn't take heed to the doctrine. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, just to balance it out here, here's a quote from Leonard Ravenhill. He says, it is possible to have all doctrines correct, yet not have the presence of God. So there's a, there's a fine balance here. We need to pay attention to doctrine because doctrine matters. But yet we can be all doctrine and still not have the spirit of God. And then that's out, that's out of balance. That's not good. So let's go through, you know, and, and if you don't believe that, ask the devil because he has all doctrines absolutely correct. <laughs> so real quick, I want to give a breakdown of verses 8 through 12 here real quick. Um, but I'm going to spend a lot of time in this area, the most time here in this area, because I believe this is the most important, because this is where we build our foundation for our faith, is on doctrine. Um, so the breakdown of verses 8 through 12, in verses 8 and 9, <clears throat> Paul reminds them, the, the people of Galatia, of their former state, and that they have come to know God, and more importantly, to be known by God. That they had a relationship faith. That was not of works. That was the gospel that Paul preached to them, which was grace. In verse 10 and 11, they've gone back to ceremonial law that was all fulfilled through Christ. And Paul expresses his frustration and his anguish over this because he's poured himself into teaching them correct doctrine. And we can get frustrated. We see Paul's frustration and his passion here in, the, in these passages. And we can get frustrated usually for two main reasons. There's a, there's a lot of reasons we can get frustrated and angry, but there's two main reasons I think that there are because I'm thinking about as a parent dealing with a child or you're teaching somebody and you get frustrated. So it can either be for two reasons. One of those is repetition. You know when you have to repeat yourself a hundred times, you get frustrated with it. It's like, if I have to tell you one more time, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's how we are with our kids. <laughs> If I have to tell you, clean that room one more time. <laughs> so repetition is one way we can get frustrated. Another way is um, the severity of the issue. It doesn't take but once to say, if you play in that road, <laughs> you know, you can, get, you can sound frustrated and you can sound passionate just one time telling somebody something based on the severity of it. And I believe that that's the case here. Paul's frustrated because of the severity of the error in this doctrine that they've allowed to creep in. So I believe, uh, as I said, that in this case, he, he's frustrated, and you can see his passion and his frustration because of the severity of this issue. And then in verse 12, he says, become as I am. And this phrase has regard to likeness or imitation. He wants them to be as he was and to do as he did, which was he relinquished the ceremonial laws of Pharisee and became free from that law. And he says, I have also become as you are, which translates to, I was once like you, therefore I am now free, so you be free. And he says, you did me no wrong. In other words, this phrase here kind of confused me a little bit. I had to pray about this, this and study this. So I was like, what, what is he talking about here? You did me no wrong. But that, that if, if you look at it from this perspective, Paul's saying to them, I'm not mad, at, mad enough at you to give up on you, but you're breaking God's heart. In other words, you didn't hurt me, you're hurting God, is what he's saying. You did me no wrong. 
<clears throat> he says, you're breaking God's heart, which was to fulfill the ceremonial law through the work of Christ. And you've gone back to it. What I believe God is calling us to through these passages is what Pro Professor Dave Thomas shared with us. The right belief with the right behavior. The right belief requires correct doctrine, which Paul is addressing here. The right belief is that we're not saved by doing X, Y, or Z, but through Christ who has made us free sons of God. Free sons from the bondage of trying to do the works of the law. With a correct understanding or belief should come the right behavior. And so that, that begs the question, what is doctrine? So what is doctrine? So in our men's discipleship group, we are doing, we're going through the book uh, from Wayne Grudem, Systematic Theology. And it's a big book, and it's got a lot of stuff in it. But it starts off with, <laughs> yes, doctrine. What is doctrine? So doctrine, according to systematic theology, is what the whole Bible teaches us today about a particular topic. Now, the key word there is whole Bible, because there's a whole lot of picking one scripture here and one scripture there to make a point, to make see, people prove a point. You know, well, God says, I can ask for anything in his name, and he'll give it to me. Amen. No, that's not the context. <laughs> Sorry. Take the whole Bible into consideration. <clears throat> so doctrine is what the whole Bible teaches us today about a particular topic. And this means that it is scripture alone and not a conservative evangelical tradition or any other human ideology that someone declares as an authority for what we should believe. We have to be careful. We have to be careful in believing things that people say without checking it against the whole Bible. I heard someone say once regarding a, a, a TV evangelist, they said, no way so-and-so got it wrong. And my thought was, well, what if they did? Would that wreck your world? Did you check what they said against the whole Bible? I mean, Paul reminds us at the beginning, beginning of this letter here that he says, even if an angel from heaven preaches any other gospel, and what he delivered to them, count them accursed. Is our doctrine based on just what someone has said without doing a whole Bible check on it? Doctrine's important. Why is doctrine important then? Now that we know what doctrine is, why is it so important? There's many reasons, but it's my understanding that the two most important reasons are, number one, because correct doctrine gives us correct discernment. I love a quote from Charles Spurgeon who says, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. That's not what discernment is. Discernment is knowing the difference between right and almost right. That is so true. That is so true. <clears throat> the perfect illustration of that is Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. The devil used what was right, the scripture, to tempt Jesus but it was almost right. It wasn't 100% right. Have you ever heard the phrase, 99% truth is 100% lie? Yeah. You can take 99% of scripture and make it 99% true, but that's not the truth, because God is 100% true. 
And the devil will come to you, and he'll, t- he'll try us. Because, you know, I started recently working at JSO, and I- I'm so thankful for that job. God definitely blessed me with that. It was all God and not me, and I'm thankful. And I kind of had a thought on this, this area here, knowing what is almost right. You know, the devil doesn't know what we know. He can't read our minds. Only God knows what, what's in our minds. The devil can't know. Because he's not that powerful. But what he does is he try to find out what we know by testing us. And so as I work at JSO and I was, I was thinking about this, I was like, okay, so how, think about detectives, how they try to solve a case. What's the first thing they do? They, tr- they try to gather all the facts. They have to gather all the facts because whatever doesn't match up with the facts is not true. And so if stories start not lining up with what the facts are, they know where to look for their suspect, right? So here's the same thing. The devil doesn't know what we know, okay? Criminals don't know what the detectives know. So they throw out things to test them, to catch them in their own words, catch them. The devil does the same thing. He throws out a little bit of bait to see what we know, to see if we'll bite on it. And if we don't have doctrine correct, that's the, that's the door. The devil's like, oh, he doesn't know that. Okay. Now imagine if, if that happened with Jesus in the wilderness when he tempted him, said, turn these, turn these stones to bread. And Jesus, oh, okay. Or, or, or when the devil said, cast yourself off this clip because the word says God will send his angels so you don't even stub a toe. And Jesus, oh, okay. No. <laughs> But see, Jesus had his doctrine correct. He, he knew you don't tempt the Lord your God. And, and so he threw that back at, at the devil. So having correct doctrine gives us correct discernment. And then number two, learning and growing in correct doctrine allows us to teach others what the whole Bible says. And that is fulfilling the Great Commission. That's what Jesus has called us to do, to the to the Great Commission, to teach all the things that he has taught. And we can't do that if we don't teach the right thing. So we see God's admonishment to grow and adhere to sound doctrine throughout the scriptures. Paul brought up doctrine a lot. In the Old Testament, there are only six instances of the word doctrine. Now, I'm, kinda, I'm a geek. I work in, in IT. So I have the Bible in a database and I can search for words and see how many times it occurs. And I, I, I do admit, I only have the King James Version in my database. I haven't updated to the ESV. But I have King James in the database, and I can search how many times a word um, appears. So when I say how many appear in the New Testament, you may not find it because the, new, the ESV Version uses the word teaching for the word doctrine in some instances. So it's synonymous, teaching and doctrine. But... So in the Old Testament, there were six instances of the word doctrine. In the New Testament, there's 44. And 20 of those are in the Apostle Paul's letters. So I'm going to give us five scriptures here from the New Testament concerning doctrine. In Romans 16, 17, Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 14, 
Paul writes, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitfulness. <clears throat> In 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. And that's an instance where in the ESV it uses teaching for doctrine. That, that is actually doctrine in the Greek. It says, persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. False doctrine will not lead somebody to salvation. It will lead them to a false religion. Doctrine is important. Two more scriptures. Second John 1 John 1.9 says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ or doctrine of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching or doctrine has both the Father and the Son. In Isaiah 28, 9 and 10, it reads, To whom will he teach knowledge? To whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from the breast, for it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. If we look at these texts closely, one thing we'll see is that there's no shortcuts. And a couple of things to take note of as well. Number one, it takes getting rooted somewhere under someone who teaches sound doctrine. Look what happens when we aren't rooted. We get out ahead of God because we think we know, but the end result is that we will get tossed around and carried away by every wind of doctrine. Have you ever met anybody like that? I've known people that go from one place to another place because they're following this doctrine and they're following that doctrine. They have no root. They have no foundation. But it doesn't also apply to other people's doctrines. We can also have false doctrines because we have our own ideas in our head. I remember before I became a Christian, I had some crazy ideas about God. <laughs> Thankfully, God corrected me on those. And there's, there were things even after I became a Christian, God corrected me on. I mean, God still corrects me because he loves me. Thankful for that. But that includes our own false doctrines as well. And if we look back at the, the quote on there, the foundation of Christian worship is the doctrine of the gospel. What is the gospel? We can't save ourselves by any amount of good works. If we could, Jesus didn't need to come on the cross. So growing and getting rooted somewhere, it's a process of disciplined learning. It's a process of applying what we've learned, falling, getting back up, and continuing on. As the word says in Isaiah, it's precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. If you notice, he repeats that precept upon precept. I had to look at it twice to make sure I didn't 
type it twice on accident, but he, he repeats that precept upon precept. And then he says precept upon precept. And he says line upon line. And then he says line upon line. Because it's God's not in a hurry. I don't know if you guys noticed that. He's not on our watch. He's not on our time clock. Yeah, I've told, you know, Pastor Micah, we, we joke a lot because, you know, my testimony with God is, you know, if I need something at midnight, God will deliver it at 1159.99. He is right on time. He's not on my time. He's on his time. Time is his, but he is faithful. He is faithful every time. <laughs> so as we grow in doctrine and we're growing as Christians to be more like Christ, Christ is building his church and he's building it through us. As we just read from Ephesians, Ephesians, <laughs> Ephesians 11 through 14, Christ is building his church through us. This means that we have to be and we will be held accountable for what we teach. Doctrine matters. So growing, not only doctrine, but growing in correct biblical doctrine matters. Amen? All right, second point is, we're going to look at Paul here on this, on this part, to grow in courage. Growth in courage. It's a quick summary of verses 13 through 25. In verses 13 through 15, Paul brings them again down memory lane and reminds the people of Galatia of the grace that they showed him when he first came to them because he brought them the gospel of freedom from the burdens of doing the ceremonial law. And Paul had a physical ailment here, uh, most likely something to do with his eyes. We don't know for sure, but we kind of can gather that because verse 15, he says, if it were possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and giving them to me. And if we remember on his road to Damascus, what happened when he was knocked off his donkey, he was blinded. So something we can kind of assume but we're not sure what happened but we do know that it was some condition that was so serious Paul calls it a trial to them he says it was a trial to you to take care of me but the point here is that he preached the gospel not the law to them and that's what he's reminding them of here In verses 16 and 17 Paul again lovingly but sternly confronts them and kind of rhetorically asks them I become your enemy now because I tell you the truth? Are you going to hate me because I tell you this? Verse 18 and 20, these Judaizers, Paul's saying, listen, they're, they're trying to bedazzle you. They're trying to make much of you, puff you up with all these flatteries. Why are they trying to do that? Because they want to shut them out and isolate them. Blocking the door of grace so that these people, this church of Galatia, will then they'll look and make much of the Judaizers instead of worshiping and making much of Christ. So in verse 18, Paul says, it's okay to be flattered for the right reasons, and the right reasons to be flattered are by the reason of purity in heart towards Christ. So Paul says, it's okay for the right reason, and not only when I'm there with you, but if you're on your own and you have a pure heart in Christ, it's okay. It's okay to be made much of if you have a pure heart in Christ. Because there's no pride there. There's no, there's no sharing God's glory because God doesn't want to share his glory. So if we're puffing somebody else up, that's stealing God's glory. 
So in verse 19 and 20, Paul is expressing his anguish at what the enemy, <clears throat> excuse me, what the enemy has tried to undo in the work of Christ. And he says it's like Paul saying, he's like, I'm in labor. I'm in labor waiting for Christ to be formed in you. In other words, are you going to grow up? Are you kidding me? Paul's going, are you kidding me? He's waiting for them to grow up into the maturity of the fullness of Christ that we read in Ephesians 11 through 4, 4, 11 through 14. He wishes, at the end of that, he says, I, and I wish I could say this to your face. <laughs> he said, I wish I could be there with you. He said, I'd change my tone. I'd get a little louder. <laughs> he does it because it's that serious. He takes it serious. Verse 21 through 25, Paul is pretty much laying it out there that what they're doing Trying to be justified is exactly what brings somebody under the curse of the law, not the freedom of salvation. He says, do you not listen to the law? Is this, is this thing on? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, a little bit of humor, but this Paul, he's like, he's like, are you serious? Do you listen, do you listen to the law? Or in other words, I thought we'd been through this, Hoss. I can't say scooter because that's Pastor Jordan's word, but I'll, I'll say hoss. But I'll say, I will use a quote from Pastor Jordan. You know, just imagine here God in his magnificent plan of salvation. He's provided the way of freedom through Christ, the work of the cross. These people have believed that gospel, but then yet turned back to doing the ceremonial laws that Christ fulfilled by the work of the cross. And here... God's going, what in my name are y'all doing this foolishness for? Face palm. That what in my name, that's a, that's a Pastor Jordan. Y'all can thank him for that. I told him I would use that quote, and I did. So Paul gives them this illustration that what they're doing is pretty much creation, creating Ishmael's in the flesh. And so the perspective here to grow in courage is, is looking at what Paul's doing, the things that he's saying to the church here. Because it takes courage to do what is right. It takes courage to make wrongs right. It takes courage to tell someone that you love that what they're doing is wrong. But here's, here's the thing, that when you have a firm foundation of sound doctrine, okay, it does two things. It enables us to explain why it's wrong, number one. You can't just tell somebody it's wrong and not tell them what they're doing wrong. You know, you, when you, remember when you were teaching your kids to drive? Okay, you didn't say, oh, you're doing that wrong. You've got to tell them what they're doing wrong so that they can correct it, right? So if we don't have a good foundation of good biblical sound doctrine, how can we tell people what they're doing wrong? So having good, a good foundation of sound doctrine, that's why I said this, it's in this order, it enables us to explain why it's wrong. And number two, it'll help us to say, I will not fear man, but I will fear God, and I will do what's right. Why? Because we know what's at stake. We see or we discern. Because sound doctrine gives us sound discernment. We can discern the road of destruction ahead. That will cause us to grow in courage. 
I don't consider myself to be a super courageous man, but I tell you what, if you see a child out in the road, I'm going to run out there and try to save that child despite the danger of a truck coming down the, down the road. And it's the same way with having sound doctrine and you see people going on a spiritual tangent, you'll put yourself in harm's way to save them. You'll put yourself out there. And that, that's what Paul's passionate plea here, this, this took courage to do. And of course it took time and it took uh, you know, a lot of learning on Paul's part and the changing of his ways. But this is what God is calling us to grow in. And then lastly, grow in grace. The work of the cross fulfilled all the works of the ceremonial law. So we can trust in Christ alone, not our check boxes of what we've done. If we make a mistake, we can trust that God will correct us. And that's God's grace. That's his grace. I thank God for his correction in my life. I tell you what, <laughs> I can't thank him enough. It, it just makes me giggle because he's, like Micah said, he is a good father. He is a good father. And in Galatians 2.21, Paul reminds uh, the church that if any righteousness came by the law, Christ died in vain. We don't get, we're not righteous because we do the checkbox, as, as Sergeant Peck said last week, our checkboxes, we go to church, read the scripture of the day, helped an old lady take her bag out to the cart. Th th those things don't matter. None of that matters. What matters is our faith in Christ, following Christ, following him, serving him, growing in him. <clears throat> so, this growing grace, I see this picture in the last verses here, verses 28 through 31, where Paul says in verse 28, Christ is the promise that if we are in Christ, we are children of the promise, not under the bondage of law. That's his grace. He didn't have to do that. But he's called us to Christ because he, he wants us. And he makes us children of a promise, the promise, the Messiah. The promised Messiah. Verse 29, he says, those who are not of the promise, now get this, this is important. Those who are not of the promise will persecute those who are. Don't miss that. Those who are not of the promise will persecute those who are. Period. How does that look today, though? Because we see, we see here in this case, because the Judaizers were trying to, um, according to different commentaries that I read on these passages, the Judaizers were trying to turn the church of Galatia against Paul. So they were, they were kind of bad-mouthing Paul. So they were, these Judaizers were, were the ones who were persecuting Paul through the church of Galatia. But today, we can look at this and we can, and, and I see two things, and there's, there's a lot more, but just two things right now that I can see. You know, you have people who are not Christians or pretending to be Christians, and they'll say, you're not a true Christian if you do X, Y, or Z. Or they'll say, you're not a true Christian if you don't do X, Y, or Z. <laughs> and most of the time, that X, Y, and Z is based on a personal preference and not a sound biblical doctrine. So in verse 30, Paul says, throw that junk in the garbage. <laughs> because of verse 31, we are not children of the slavery, of the bondage, of the burden of the law. 
or your personal preferences. Sorry. <laughs> All that's been lifted by the cross of Jesus Christ. Peter, Peter explains the importance of growing in grace in 2 Peter 3. He says in verses 17 and 18, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your stability, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you remember, Peter was confronted at the, at the beginning here of Galatians by Paul. And I think Peter finally got it. Amen. So in closing... That means we got about 15 more minutes left. <laughs> In closing, I want to encourage everyone, not be afraid of growth. Don't be afraid of it. You know, a lot of times we get comfortable in our, in our little routines, and we don't want to go outside of our comfort zone. But I'm going to tell you, you get outside your comfort zone, it's going to be a little uncomfortable at first, but it'll be okay, I promise. I promise it'll be okay. It's just like riding that bike for the first time. Remember when you took the training wheels and you took off down the road and you're like, well, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And then you crashed. It's okay. Your boo-boos will heal. It's okay. So I want to encourage everyone, don't be afraid to grow. Don't be afraid to grow. God is calling us to grow. He loves his babies just like we love and we have loved our children when they were little babies. But there comes a time when you say, you've got to grow up. I ain't changing that diaper no more. Of course, Brother Eric and them, they're going through that all over again now. <laughs> so what does that mean for us to grow up? Well, for some of us, that may mean it's time to put down the Bible for Dummies book and actually start picking up the real Bible and reading it. For others, it may mean stop church surfing, place yourself somewhere with sound biblical doctrine Get taught and get rooted. For others, it could also be meaning letting go of Aunt Fannie Mae's tradition of being a Christian and how she did it for 83 years and compare it to what the whole Bible says. Find the freedom of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Be free. And yet for someone else, today that growth may mean coming to know Christ and his freedom to grow for the very first time. No matter which one of those you are, let's grow together. Amen? Amen. Okay, are you ready? All right. Well, on your mark, get set, grow. <laughs> okay? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word, Lord. Thank you, God, that you want to grow us, Lord, that, Lord, you call us to be more like you. And Lord, as John the Baptist said, Lord God, let us decrease that you may increase. Lord, increase in our lives, Lord, and make much of you through us, Lord God. Help us. Help us to get out of your way. Help us to let go of our comfortable places and our comfortable areas, Lord God. Reveal to us areas, Lord, where we need correction because we know you love us and that you're for us and you're not against us and you want us to know the truth lord and lead us into all truth by your spirit god we thank you so much for that because you didn't have to and we certainly don't deserve it lord but god we thankfully receive 
all that you have for us today. Lord, help us to grow. Help us to glorify you, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be good stewards. In Jesus' name.